0: musician from the early days and back in the early 80s and he had a song that he used to sing and it said we are his body and he is our soul. You know and there's something right about that that if we are the body of Christ the spirit that animates us and gives us life is the spirit of the living God present. In us individually, but also present with us corporately. When Jesus says, When two or three are gathered, I will be there with you, it's not that He's not with you individually, but it is a promise that there is a unique presence in our assembly when we are the church, the assembled ones. You know, there is a form of Christianity that exists not far out our doors as an institution as a set of traditions, as a form of morality, that is very outwardly appearing Christian, but is void of the presence of the Spirit of God and His power. Paul, I think, is referring to it, I think it's what he is talking about, those who are in the midst of the church and, and doing things even in those early days when he says that they have an appearance of godliness but they deny its power. They have a set of morality or they have, they've grasped on to some of these external things of Christianity and morality but they lack the true power of Christianity which is a spiritual thing. Christianity is, 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 is not an external transaction of uh, moving from one philosophical system into another, one way of living into, you know, that is a better way of living. Christianity is not those external transactions. It is an eternal new birth, or it's nothing. We are born again. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. There is the presence of God in His people, raising them from the dead, giving them new life, and bringing forward the kingdom and the power and purposes of God, by that Spirit. Jesus as our mediator. is the one who is about to die for his people. And to bear our sin. And so to rise and ascend into the presence of God. Where he will intercede for us. And so what he is saying here is he is acting as our intercessor. He says I will ask the Father. I will intercede for you. I will, I will go into the presence of God and procure for you this gift. Uh, this thing which you need above all other things. Everything that we have spiritually comes to us through Christ right? as our mediator. Our standing with God, we stand righteous in Christ and in Christ alone. Like every grace, every gift, every benefit flows to us. He has bought it. With his own blood. He procures it for us. And and it is through him that all those things flow to us. And so here he is as our advocate, our savior, living the life we failed to live, paying the penalty for our sin, conquering sin and death, and interceding. Right? Pouring out then all that he has won for us in that. Right? It's there in your bulletin, Acts chapter 2. Peter says, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Where did He promise it? Well, among other places besides... Joel, uh, is John 14. You know, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And this is the day of Pentecost when, when the manifestations of the Spirit were quite visible to the crowds and the Spirit of God was doing things in their lives in a unique way here in this, this advent of his, his outpouring. But we see that it is as Christ is exalted At the right hand is our intercessor, as the mediator of this new covenant, having received from the Father this this Spirit. He says He pours Him out into the lives of God's people. He brings the spiritual reality. As Jesus ascends, the Spirit descends with with everything spiritually true and real that we could hope for or experience. The Spirit brings causing us to be born again, creating a new creation and whose holy presence in the lives of God's people begins to change us. Jesus says he will ask and he will give another helper who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now I want you to take the spirit of truth and put that in a little box and file it because a couple of weeks from now we're going to come back to that. Uh, and give a whole week to, to, to some of that, because he expounds on it as he goes on from here. I want to stick with this. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you another helper. Now, many of you have heard sermons on this, and I don't want to belabor it, but it is truly important. And if you don't have this foundation laid, and you're thinking about the Holy Spirit, let me try and lay it again and make sure that it's there. And when he says that I'm going to send to you another helper, the word there for helper is paraclete. There was a time, again, in certain circles, that word is really important, and you may have heard it. When I came to Christ in the Pentecostal church, it was during the early 80s, you know, it was the late 70s, early 80s, that the charismatic movement kind of blew through all the mainline denominations. The local bookstore in New Jersey where I was living at the time was called the paraclete. The paraclete, that that word is, is, is very important. In some translations, it's helper. Some translations, it's comforter. Other translations, it's the advocate. Advocate is a very strong meaning for that word, someone who is an advocate for you. In 1 John, when it says that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. You know, this helpfurther who stands for us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So there's a strong sense of, of advocate, but it also means uh, comfort help, someone who's on your side, someone who encourages, someone, in fact, the literal meaning can be someone who comes alongside. So if you got to go to court, you don't go to court alone, you call your lawyer and he, he someone who comes alongside and goes with you and advocates for you, someone who is on your side, strengthens your case, helps you in your weakness, comforts you in your affliction, McLaren there in your bulletin, the second point, he says he is one in in any circumstances, by his presence, he makes strong. One who makes strong, who comes alongside with what you lack, with what you need. Is it comfort? Is it encouragement? Is it joy? Is it peace? Is it rest? Is it understanding? Is it wisdom? Is it guidance? Is it grace? What is it that you need? It is the presence of the Holy Spirit who is our advocate. Jesus says, I will send another helper to you. And so it is crucial to know and to rely on the person of the Holy Spirit who is the very presence of God in the soul of man. This is Trinitarian Theology 201. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, as we were doing some of those earlier passages we just looked at, where Jesus says in verses seven through eleven, He says, "If you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My words are the words of the Father. My works are the works of the Father. The Father and I are one." Right, and so that's Trinitarian theology number one hundred and one, where Jesus begins to open up this this understanding of who God is, and Jesus says it. That he and I are one, and I'm not the father, and the father's not the son, and yet his words are my words, and his works are my works, and, you know, we are one. And now he says, and I'm going to go to the father, and as I go away, I'm going to send to you another helper. Another helper, another advocate. You know, it's interesting as you go through the passage, it is very particular that every, every pronoun that refers back to the helper, to the spirit of truth, is masculine. Right? And you look in verse 17, he says, Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it neither, sees him nor knows it, no, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he will dwell with you, and he will be in you. Right? Personal pronoun. You know, the Greek has the ability to use a neuter. A neuter is, you know, neutral. It's it. You know, when I'm referring to the pew, I call, you know, it. Sit, sit in it. In the pew, it—it it has the ability to refer impersonally, but it—but Jesus never, not once. Paul never, as far as I can tell, and I've, I've looked at it a fair amount. None of the gospel writers, neither Jesus nor any gospel writer, refers to the Holy Spirit as it ever. Always him, he, the Spirit of God is—is is a he. He's a person. Not only are the pronouns that he uses very personal, but all the activities of God uh, that he does are, are personal activities, and they are the activities of God and the activities of Jesus, right? He is the one who you will know him, right? And he will, if you look through the passages, he's going to help you or advocate for you. He guides you. He teaches you. And the list goes on of the things that the Spirit does, which are personal, and not only are they personal, but they are very much like Jesus. And that's where this word, another helper, is really important. Um, it's not just this helper and this advocate that God is giving, but he's another one. And so you got to ask, yourself, well, who's the first one? If he's another one. And clear from the context, clear from all of this is, Jesus is saying, I'm the first one, and I'm going to send you another one. And in the Greek, there are two words for another, other, and one of them means, I'm going to, you know, there, there's another one, i.e. if I got a giraffe, and I say, well, there's another like, animal, and he's a zebra. It's another one of a different kind. But there's a Greek word that means another one of the same kind. A second one, like the first one. And Jesus, said, Jesus is right here. If you remember, we're not too far away from it. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. And I'm going to send another helper, like me. Into your lives. And he's going to be with you the way I have been with you. I walked with you. He is going to walk with you. I taught you. He is going to teach you. I have protected you. And he's going to protect you. I've loved you. He's going to love you. I have encouraged you. And he is going to be your encourager. I've guided and I've corrected you when you need it. And brought conviction when you need it. And I'm going to send another one who will do all these things. He will walk with you. And be my presence with you. In fact, in the next verse, and we'll come back next week, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But he says this personal coming of Jesus to you is in the person and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that we see is the Spirit is, is, is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. The Spirit is like Christ and will fulfill the role of Christ. He is a He. He is another divine person. So we at Trinitarian Theology 301 is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, three divine persons who are one and to do one work and who work together to accomplish all of God's purposes. They are one essentially in power and glory and in every way and in some way that I cannot explain to you this morning is that the Spirit is a person. Now, we're tempted to call him it. There are, there are reasons we shouldn't do it, though. Here's the thing. If, some, if I were talking to you or I was in a circle of folks and talking with you and I kept referring to you as it, you know, well, it keeps talking, right? And it, it keeps butting in or it is, you know, it's going to go downtown this afternoon. And, you know, you would you, don't, that, you just don't do that. There are images in the scripture. The spirit is often described as a mighty blowing wind or he's described as a fire that falls from heaven or the fire that burns in our bones, you know, or there is uh, this well of, of living water that springs up. There are these impersonal images that are sometimes used and so we are tempted to say it, but that, that is not proper. <laughs> Jesus refers to himself as a door, a light, a vine, But he is preeminently personal. And the fact that he has those functions or those things help us to understand him, you know, doesn't depersonalize him. And so this spirit should not be depersonalized. There are some good illustrations, you know, from um, one I've heard often is electricity. I've heard this illustration. And I like it and then I don't like it. You know, I like it and I'm like, but careful there, right? I like it because there is this. There is this truth about it. You know, it's like just like you would plug in your computer to the wall and, and power flows into the computer and gives it life and the ability to do all kinds of stuff that it, it couldn't do without that flow of power. And there's some real truth in that, that, that we need to grasp and understand that apart from the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. And so there's this sense in which we do need to plug into to the power of God that He would flow in our lives, that we would be full of the spirit of God as he commands us so that we would be full of a life and abilities and things that are the spiritual life the supernatural life to which God calls us but the danger is to start thinking about him then because electricity is impersonal and in the spiritual life in the spiritual world it is preeminently a person who comes into our lives a person like Jesus you know, the other one I've heard is the Star Wars. The force be with you. There is this force. Use the force, Luke. You know, as you and there, are part of me that says, you know, yes, we must, in a sense, awaken to and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the force in the whole thing is impersonal. It's probably closer to Buddhism. But, but there, is, there is something that it's pointing to. Let me, let me just then bump down and give you a handful of quick applications. First, flowing out of that one is the Holy Spirit is a person, a person to be related to. We don't use people. We relate to people. We walk with them. If I say walk with me out to my car, I mean, you know, walk with me. I want to talk to you. I want to relate to you. You know, I want, to, I want this moment so that we can catch and interact kind of thing. You know, so the Holy Spirit is someone that we, it's not something we use. He is a person we relate to. I use my toaster. The Holy Spirit is a person. And He's not just any person. He is in every respect the Lord. One to be listened to and loved and obeyed. The Holy Spirit also, the second thing is, will never leave you nor forsake you. And I love Jesus says, I'll ask for another the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. In other words, I'm leaving, and, and my work and my task has been temporal and, and it had a, you know, a beginning and an end, and I'm leaving you. But he says, you know what, I'm going to send you another helper, another one like me, only this one, he's not going to leave you ever. He will be with you Forever. Right? Till as Jesus goes, you know, I will be with you even to the end of the ages. I will come to you and I will not abandon you. I will come in the person of the Holy Spirit. You will not be forsaken. You may grieve the Spirit, you may quench his fire, you may cause that fire to burn low by your disobedience. That fire is never extinguished. He will never leave you or never forsake you. He is the very life of God and the soul of man. And with a fresh breeze of repentance, that fire can be fanned to flame. And that life renewed in us. His fullness to return. And I believe His, his presence is one that we can existentially know and experience. I think that's what he's driving at in seventeen, and I know I tread on ground that with Presbyterians we start to get a little, again, weak in the knee, maybe a little quavery. And what does it, what does that mean? But I believe when he says to them, "Look, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him." Right? They can't receive him because they're spiritually blind and they are dead to the spiritual things. But not so with you, right? He says, "Not you, you." are not like that. You know Him. And He dwells within you. And He is with you. I think there's something very real and powerful there. The world can't see. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But you know Him and you do see the kingdom. You do see the spiritual realm with a sixth sense, a spiritual life that is birthed in you. And the presence of God spiritually comes to live in our experience. Now, I want to say very quickly, while I think there's a true experiential component you know, to this, to this Christian life, I, I want to say very quickly that, that it is we must be careful not to trust in our feelings. And usually in the circles that I run in, that we run in, as soon as you start talking about the, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, and something that you can experience, they say, now, wait, 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 be careful, don't trust in The presence of God. Don't trust in your feelings. I'm 110%. You know, we don't don't know we're saved because I have these feelings. You know, I don't know that God is with me because I have feelings. I don't know. I know He's with me because He said He will never leave me nor forsake me. My certainty is in His Word. I trust in Christ and I trust in His Word and I trust in His promises and I trust in all that He's given me and not in any experience. But that doesn't mean experiences aren't real, true, and proper to the Christian life. And that He, by His grace, and at times does, dwell in you and remain with you in ways that we can know. When I come visit you at the hospital, if you're sick or you're struggling or you're suffering, infallibly, one of my prayers for you will be that you would know God's presence and His love for you. That He would would speak His love to your soul. Right, that he would make his presence felt, that you would know that you know that you know that he is with you. Second Corinthians thirteen, fourteen, Paul says this there in your bold, and he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus, in which we trust with all of our heart and soul, the love of God which is poured out in the giving of the Son and the Spirit, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit who is now God with you. God in you. God walking with you. A living personal presence. A powerful wind. A flowing stream. A fire in the soul. So let me just say, and I'll wrap with this one. Genuine growing Christian life then is the fruit of this fellowship. Fellowship. With the Holy Spirit. Genuine Christian life flows. Like a spring of living water within. From the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 Paul says walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Are you struggling with sin and struggling and not fulfilling the purposes God is calling you to? He says here's the answer. Walk by the Spirit. Trust in the Spirit. Rely on His strength. Call out to Him. 1 John 4.4, John affirms and, and assures us, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is just what Jesus just said. You will know Him and He will dwell with you and He will be in you. And this one who is in you, He is the one. The only one who is greater than the powers that be within this world and in your own flesh. The life of holiness and obedience is lived in the awareness of and reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Horatius Bonar there in your bulletin, he says, Perhaps much of our slow progress in the walk of faith can be traced to our overlooking the love of the Spirit. We do not deal with Him for strength and for advancement as the One, the One who really loves us, who longs to bless us and delights to help our infirmities. We regard Him as cold and distant and austere. We, we live in a small fear or removal from Him. We don't trust Him for His grace nor rely on, realize how much He is in earnest in His dealings with us. We must have more childlike confidence in Him, in His love, That He would help us on forward in the Christian life mightily. Let us not grieve Him, nor vex Him, nor quench Him by our untrustfulness, by disbelieving or doubting the riches of His grace, the abundance of His loving kindness. Paul prays in one nineteen of Philippians there in your bulletin. He says, "I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, I will be delivered." Prayers where I would leave you with the closing thing. The man who knows. The woman who knows. That the power for everything that you desire to be and to do in and for Christ. In the Christian life is found. Not in ourselves. But in the spirit of God. Who is with you. Who is in you. We do not have because we do not ask. We do not cry out. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and He delivers them. Jesus promises that you will know Him. That He will dwell in you. Paul says, do you not know, people of God, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, whom God has given you? This is crucial for Paul. Don't you understand this? This is foundational and core. To the life of the believer. He invites us to a living awareness, a real communion with one who is like Jesus, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who will walk with us, and whose walking with us, sets us free and empowers us to not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, but sets us free to be all that He calls and designs for us to be. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we cry out this morning. You have said that for one who would ask from you of the Holy Spirit, that you are like a good father who knows how to give good gifts. And for us who cry out for this gift of the Spirit, you promise to hear. We long to be full of your Spirit. We long to be enabled where we are weak, comforted where we are sorrowing, encouraged, where we are beaten down. We long to be peaceful, where we have been disturbed. We long to be alive, where we are drifting into deadness. Oh, would you light a fire within us by the presence and power of your spirit that would indeed be that life of God in the soul of a man or a woman in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.